couple of things. Um, number one, the, the Dunning Lecture. Um, the, so the Dunning Lecture that, um, that Jen mentioned, yeah, they do this every year, and it's basically um, a, a good opportunity for um, the churches that are kind of represented by the students of St. Mary's Ecumenical Institute, which is where Jason and I went to seminary. Um, and it's an excellent idea for the, um, for the churches that are represented by those students can come and kind of get a taste for what the academic side of theology is like. I mean, in previous years, they've had Eugene Peterson, they've had Brian McLaren, they've had N.T. Wright. Uh, the N.T. Wright one is the one always that packs the house. Um, and every year, what I've, I've liked to do in recent years um, is to try to encourage folks to come. Um, it's not necessarily like an endorsement of the particular theologian, although if it is, if it is N.T. Wright, I would certainly give you that. But, um, you know, I, I really actually don't know a whole lot about Willie James Jennings, who's going to be speaking this, this time. I know that the topic is racism and how that affects God's kingdom, so I'm interested in, um, in learning from him. Um, but Really what it is, it's an opportunity for you to go to St. Mary's, which if you've never been there, it's a fantastic place. You just walk in and you're just like, the environment is just so cool. Um, And also to try to like nudge you in the right direction or to nudge um, our students in the right direction, I offer them a little bit of a bribe and I say, we'll all go to the movies together. If you go and you write me like a 300-word reflection on the experience, just what you thought, what you thought about the content, what you thought about St. Mary's, you know, three paragraphs or whatever that works out to be, 300 words, um, then we'll all go see a movie, and I think this year's movie is the new Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, and I'm not even pronouncing that right, but um, yeah, it should be a good time. So um, that's that. Number two, um, we have uh, Election Day coming up this week. Um, Just want to remind everybody... um, or just maybe give you my point of view on how Christians should approach this day. I I take really seriously that it it tells us in Romans 13 that um, we're to be subject of governing authorities. And one of the things that I love about this country that I call home is that the governing authority of the United States of America is not the president, and it's not the Congress, and it's not the Supreme Court. The governing authority, the first words of the Constitution, says we, the people. And so you are the governing authority of the United States of America. We are. Um, And one of the ways that we are subject to that authority is by engaging in the system. We vote and we engage in civic discourse and we learn about the candidates. um, And we get up on election day and we do our civic duty. And I think that's something that is important for us as a body to be encouraging um, each other in. But of course, also we gather um, knowing who the true king is, knowing who the true authority is, and we have the freedom um, to kind of engage in this uh, in civics because we know that Jesus is actually on the throne. Um, so just wanted to give you a thought about that um, and try to give you an encouragement to be involved um, this Tuesday. So... We're continuing today in our series, The Community of the Gospelized, uh, which is a series on the church. And the first half of the series was a little bit more of the theological foundation of what we call, what the church, um, what we could call ecclesiology or the study of the church. 
Um, And then this second half of the series, I want us to be a lot more practical. I want us to think about it on far more, like, what does this actually look like um, in my day-to-day life? And today we're talking about, last week we talked about um, discipleship, and we talked about the personal choices that each and every one of us can make um, to try to uh, cultivate an environment of ourselves um, that that God can move, right? Um, And so that leads to our prayer life and our spiritual disciplines. Um, we didn't talk too much about fasting, but that certainly would be a, an aspect of it. The idea that we come and we worship regularly, the idea that we're involved personally in a house church, things like that. But today, I want to take it that step further, and I want us to consider what is the truth, what is the, 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 um, the, the truth that Christianity was never supposed to be a solo sport. You were never supposed to be in this alone. You were never supposed to uh, have this walk with Christ just alone. I think there is an aspect where at one moment, at at some moment, you do need to think about it as like you're in a room with Jesus and it's just the two of you and he looks you in the eye and says, well, who do you say that I am, Joe Miller? Who do you say that I am? And I think that all of us should be doing business with that on a personal level. However, the right response of our answer to that, and we, if we are to say that Jesus is Lord, if we are to build um, our reality on that uh, Caesarea Philippi confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the way we respond to that is by living life in community. So I want to begin today with kind of a parable of sorts. I'm not very creative when it comes to desktop pictures. I mean, there's lots of people who prefer on their, um, on their computers just like a black screen, cause, uh, but I need something a little bit more than that. But I'm, I'm really not all that fancy. Um, so I'm the guy who loves landscapes. Um, specifically, I need, like, every time I, like, as much as possible, I need to look at water or mountains. I, I know that's not very creative. And right now I have this, this picture of um, a, a mountain range in, in Montana, which is a place that I'd really like to visit. I love how blue the sky is, and I love how there's this brilliant combination of green trees and gray rock and piles of snow on this mountain trail. I, I just love mountains. And I'm sure that you can imagine the scene I'm describing without actually seeing the specific one that's on my computer desktop. So humor me for a moment. And imagine that you're there. Imagine that you're walking along that trail and you see the top of the mountain far, far in the distance. It might take you days to get there. Now imagine that you notice that as you go along that the trail, it kind of fades off. It's not exactly clear which way you should go. It's now not just simply one clear trail. Instead, there seems to be like a few dozen possible courses of action. By now, you're standing still because you're not sure what to do next. But suddenly, you begin to notice other hikers who have been on the trail with you the whole time, but you never really noticed that. Since the trail had been so well-worn, you had no need to see other hikers. But now, 
When the choice of even your next step seems unclear, the people around you begin to become far more important. It makes you feel a little better to see that many of them appear to be in kind of the same predicament that you are. They as well seem not quite clear on what to do next. And then, though, there are others who kind of dart out, still not noticing the crowd of people on the trail, and just say, well, you know what, I'm going to conquer this mountain with with nothing less than my rugged individualism. Perhaps those people that dart out will do quite well. I don't know. You, however, remain. You remain with the group. And you begin to notice the usefulness of what we could say is the various personalities amongst the community of your fellow hikers. After a while, you see that there's this one person has, that has risen to become like the leader. Now, there's various kinds of leaders out there, but this guy is kind of like the leader leader. He's primarily interested in keeping the people moving. He knows what the goal is. The goal is to get to the top of the mountain. And when certain folks kind of seem to drag their feet, he's the one who moves them uh, at a a pace that others are kind of fueled by. It's not like he's walking so far in front of people um, that... Uh, they get tired, and, they, and, they, and he's kind of lost sight of them. He's moving at a pace that other people go, all right, I can keep up with this. It's one thing to know when the group needs a break, but this leader seems to know when the group simply needs kind of like a loving kick in the pants. And you start to think, you know what? I'm thankful for this guy. It's funny, though, because you notice that this leader... He really wants to get to the top, but he really doesn't seem to talk all that much about why we're on this hike in the first place. And for this reason, you kind of appreciate another person that's in the group. We'll call this person the visionary. You see, she's not as interested in kicking people in the pants, but she loves to talk about the top of that mountain. She loves to talk about what the top of that mountain is going to be like. She speaks of the type of view that everybody's going to see when they get there. She speaks of the sense of accomplishment that the group will feel when they've reached their goal. The leader leader is thankful for her as well as he seems to kind of be fueled by her. And the more she talks about what it's going to be like when they get to the top of that mountain, what it's going to be like when they get there, the more the leader is emphasized to kick people in the pants. And again, you're thankful for her. And then we get to another individual. This guy doesn't really seem to be interested in kicking people in the pants or offering them a compelling vision, but it does appear that he's quite familiar with the mountain range and the things, the items that are along the path. He, he explains what bushes um, that folks should st- steer clear of. There, there may be some bushes that have berries that are okay to eat and others that you certainly don't want to eat. And for some reason, somehow, he knows the difference. He seems to have a knowledge that will help the group to know why some paths are better than others. And even though one path might seem like it's the right choice in the moment, he seems to have information that others hadn't thought about, information that in hindsight is actually quite valuable. The leader is also fueled by him, this 
teacher, you see, gives the leader in the, inform- uh, the information that he needs in order to make good choices for the group. But as you can imagine, there's times when it would appear that the leader is a little frustrated by um, this teacher. The leader just wants to get to the top of the mountain, after all, and doesn't really want to waste time picking berries. Still, you're thankful for the teacher. However, because you're beginning to notice that some personalities are clashing, you're also thankful for another person. This person has made it a point to take a far more personal approach. See, she makes it a point to intentionally walk with each person in the group at their pace, not hers, as she gets to know why they're on this trail in the first place. See, um, sure, she, she wants to get to the top of the hill just like everybody else, and she might even want to know about berries, but what she really wants to know is about people on the trail. What really gets her excited is just learning about people on the trail. She is the shepherd. She has no time for superficial conversation. You make a, contact, a comment about how nice the day is, and she agrees with you, and then she says, tell me about your family. You ask her if she's tried one of the berries that you picked, and she says, tell me about your childhood. At one point, the trail becomes quite rocky, on, and you trip, and others acknowledge that you fall, and no one's a jerk, except maybe the leader. He just really wants to get to the top of that hill. But it's the shepherd who actually gets down on her knees to help you up. In fact, she trips while she's trying to help you up. And everybody is polite, but, but she's different. And you're so thankful that she's there. Now, this is a kind of a well-operating group by this point. So it actually has become quite large. Probably a few dozen in people in size. So there's probably personalities that you simply haven't had the opportunity to notice. And you're pretty impressed with your ability so far to be so aware of others up to this point. You pat yourself in the back for being a great person. But you know, there are two other people who you realize were there the whole time and they were doing stuff, but you really hadn't garnered, that hadn't really garnered your attention up to that point. One of them seems to want to know the information that is at hand. But not like the teacher wants to. The teacher wants to figure out, uh, wants to know kind of information about the surroundings. But, but this person seems more interested in clocking the data that is necessary for the group. This leader is especially, the leader is especially served by this person who we can call the administrator. The administrator wants to keep a tab on how far the group has gotten um, how far the hike, how the group is hiked today. They've learned from the teacher how far it is to get to the top. And now they've heard from the leader how much he wants to accomplish. So the administrator likes to keep track of this data. Since the group has gotten so tight, they've started to pool resources like food and water. And this admin guy seems to have a great way of tallying up information in a way that will help the group to truly know what resources are at their disposal. It took you a while to notice them, but it appeared that they intentionally stayed on the side of the path. And truth be told, they never really talk all that much. But the more you think about it, the more valuable you think that person is, and you start to think, think, wow, I am very, very thankful for this administrator. Finally, 
There's one other person, at least one other person, who you've noticed is of special significance. If the admin guy seems to be of special service to the leader, this woman seems to work tightly with the shepherd. As the shepherd has learned about the needs of different people on the trail, this person has communicated her findings to this last person, and we'll call her the networker. She seems to have a special ability at taking the information she's learned and connecting people who need to meet each other. You see, when you fell a bit ago, you put your arm in, uh, to down to brace yourself, and your whole right arm kind of sunk into this big muddy puddle. And you are wet, and you are miserable. But because the shepherd had taken time to get to know the other people on the trail, she was right there with you when you fell, after all, she was able to communicate that back to this networker person. And the networker person seems to have this awesome ability at hooking up people who need each other. Because you see, there was another guy in the group who packed way too much. And he's got like two extra shirts and a jacket that he never should have packed. And the networker knows this, so he figures, hey, I got to get these two dudes together. And you're embarrassed to ask for help, but the networker is bold enough to make the ask. The guy with the extra shirts is grateful to give over some of what he has. And frankly, it was getting a little too heavy for him anyway. And wouldn't you know it, he's very grateful that you were able to share some of your trail mix with them with him because uh, he packed a lot of clothes, you see, but just not enough food. So how thankful are you that this networker woman, or was it a woman or a guy? I don't know. This networker has helped you guys get together. You're quite sure when you're, you'll actually get to the top of the mountain. You're not quite sure when you're actually going to get to the top of the mountain, but you are certainly sure that you are with the right group of people. Okay, parable over. A few observations. First, I realized that the picture I painted was quite idealist. Groups of strangers hiking in mountain trails don't typically necessarily develop into a nice little fellowship like that. Second, I've never been to Montana, so it's quite possible that the situation I described could be completely unrealistic. I'm okay with that. Third, I realized that people don't necessarily fit into the nice little categories as I've described them. And of course, there was a lot more personalities that we could talk about, a lot more giftings that I've failed to mention, and I'm okay with that. Well, I'm, what I'm not okay with is individuals who feel like they are on the path alone. Last week, we discussed personal discipleship, the idea that there are specific things that you can be intentional about to open yourself up to the work that God will do in you. And that is an absolutely important truth. But Christianity, again, like I said, was never supposed to be a solo effort. We were always supposed to live life in community. The most important thing that we can say about the church is that we were created by a Trinitarian God for a Trinitarian community. It's been said that the church is a creation and covenantal companion of the God who exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While it is true that the word Trinity doesn't actually appear anywhere in Scripture, I think that if we were to read the biblical narrative, the biblical story, the Bible, and see 
kind of take note of how God reveals himself, it becomes evident as we move through the story of Scripture that the best way for us to describe God's character is that he seems to be revealing himself in three distinct persons. Christianity, of course, is a monotheistic faith. Like Deuteronomy 6 says, um, many of us know the, the, of the prayer of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Fundamental to the Jewish faith, faith and therefore the Christian faith is the truth that God is one. But then listen to Jesus' words. In John 17, you can open up to John 17 if you'd like. Listen to his words, beginning right there in verse 1. This is from what um, many call Jesus' high priestly prayer. When he prays for his disciples and prays for us, by the way, if you want to know a, a passage of Scripture where Jesus specifically prays for us, it's here. He prays for his disciples and he also prays for those that would follow them. But before he does that, listen to how he begins. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life, what's eternal life? Eternal life is this, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, it appears that there is a distinction now between the Father and the Son, but it also appears that there is like a cooperative glorification going on. Like the Father is serving the Father's uh, role by glorifying the Son so that he may glorify the Father to the glory of the Son. Lots of glory is going around, right? But that's not all. It would also appear that the way the Son glorifies the Father and does what he sent him to do is by giving eternal life, which is life with the Father or life with God, to Jesus' followers. But before we move on to us, it is absolutely crucial for us to see that our God, who is one, also exists in community in his very nature. In fact, that's exactly the language that Paul uses when he speaks about Jesus being in very nature God, back in Philippians 2, 5. And Paul, like John, sees Jesus fulfilling his role in intimate connection with the Father by sacrificially serving those he came to save. Clearly, in Paul and in John, There's like this close relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. But but, but here's the cool thing. What does it look like? What does it actually look like for the Father to love the Son? It looks like the Father sending the Son to give eternal life to those who belong to Him. You know, what does it look like for the Son to love the Father. It looks like the Son fulfilling His role as the sent one who will glorify His Father by giving eternal life to all who belong to Him. To put it another way, the Father 
can't love the Son without getting some on you. Or, the Son can't love the Father without getting some on you. It's as if God has intentionally designed it so that no real community can happen without it benefiting the entirety of his creation and himself. And it doesn't stop there. Because one of the really cool things is that as you learn throughout the narratives of Scripture about what the love is that we're actually talking about, that love is so important, the actual love between the Father and Son. It's so vital, it's so crucial, it's so important that they actually start giving it a name and it actually becomes that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love between them. Augustine, I think it was Augustine, says, he talks about the Trinity as uh, the, the, the beloved, the lover, and the love between them. That's the, the Trinity. But later on in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says this. He says, I'm not asking for these only, meaning the disciples that are right there in front of him, but for all those who will believe in me, you guys, through their word or through their witness, through their confession that they may all be one. It's interesting. He's calling them because they are a community, but Jesus is here now saying this community, this disciples, uh, the community is so important, but, but I'm praying so that they can all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that, that you have given me, I have given them, which is interesting that they talk about the glory that Jesus gives us, gives to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So that's why it's so important that we think of the church as a Trinitarian community. Jesus said it right there, that they may be one even as I am one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Again, there is so much love going around, so much glorification going around that you can't love one person without actually loving everybody. And it's just really a great picture of not only the character and nature of our God, but also the character and nature of what the church is called to be. So, What does it actually look like to live life in this sort of community? Well, it looks like us being one. Not only one with each other, but one with God. And what does it look like for us to be unified and live life with God? Well, it looks like community. This is why I, uh, loving God and loving your neighbor are two sides of the same coin. You can't do one without doing the other. You can't love another human being without giving glory to God. And you cannot truly glorify God without getting some on other people. Community is a non-negotiable component to Christianity. Let me say that again. Community is a non-negotiable component component to Christianity. Now, that doesn't mean it won't look different around various corners of God's kingdom, and there may be seasons where that kind of community is going to look differently, but 
if we're going to be dedicated to the scriptural narrative, I can't get around the fact that community is a non-negotiable component to Christianity. There will never be a time when your life won't affect other people, for good or for bad. So what's our mountain? The analogy may break down when we consider that there will never be just one mountain that we need to climb and then, you know, we'll be done with it. This community with God uh, and each other is something that won't end. Even on the other side of glory, it won't end. The picture of heaven we get at the end of Scripture where this whole ship is headed is still one of God taking up residence with His creation and heaven and earth being one. But even still, there's this beautiful community with God and with each other for eternity. So our question is, how do we anticipate? How do we look forward? How do we live into that community now, like on earth as it is in heaven? Originally, I had planned to spend a week of the series on worship, and I removed it um, because I put in a week about hospitality in response to the Q Commons conference that we had. But worship is just another non-negotiable aspect of what it means to be a Christ follower. So I think that the gathering for corporate worship is, of course, one of the main things, one of the, the, the things that we can do. What does it look like to be New Hope Community Church? Obviously, it needs to mean so much more than just coming to church on Sunday, but it doesn't not mean that. Coming to church on Sunday morning is something that we can do. Uh, Hebrews 10 talks about how we shouldn't neglect the assembly of believers, and that's going to happen on big groups like this, we're not a huge church, but it's good. this is our, our corporate worship where we're all gathered together. And of course, it's also going to happen, like Wendy said, it's going to happen in small groups that we call house churches. The reason why we call them house churches is because, A, they take place in people's houses. They're not something that we, they're not, uh, they're not necessarily like, um, um, they are a part of what New Hope is, uh, but they're not necessarily like a program um, in the sense that we might have other kind of Bible studies or other kinds of um, uh, support groups or something like that, a program where we were in a worship service that we might do here at the church. No, we intentionally want to do it in people's living rooms because that's where they do life. That's where life actually happens. Life actually happens in individual people's homes. So we actually want to be intentional about being involved in that. Now, and actually being there. So Bible study happens, but it's not just a Bible study. Um, prayer happens, but it's not just a prayer group. Um, fellowship happens, but it's not just a hangout with friends. The idea behind a house church is a group of people that are doing life together. It was also a church because it's not just about... It's, and, and that's something that gives certain corners of, of, of Christ's church, certain other... Um, uh, other denominations, other other people, give them pause, because I've actually been um, I've actually talked to house church about house church philosophy with people from other denominations, and there have been times when people have said, "You can't do that." What do you mean? You can't have the church away from the church, like? And I was like, "Watch me, <laughs> you know, watch us." I mean, I, personally, I hope that churches are doing Eucharist together. I hope that you guys are doing communion together. I think that, that would be a great thing. I mean, I would love to talk to you about what that looks like, but I think it would be extremely powerful 
for a house church leader to say, we gather together tonight, and we all gather around this table, and we break this bread, and we drink this cup, and we do it because we're in life together. We're in koinonia together. We're in fellowship together. Or at least we open the word together. We pray for each other. We're honest with each other. We hold each other accountable. We know what's going on in the life of the people that are in that group. And we foster an environment. We look to be intentional about fostering an environment about what it looks like to trust the other people that are in that group. And that's going to take courage. It's not going to just take courage for you to be the kind of person who can share something, to, to, to be vulnerable with your brother or your sister in Christ. It's also going to take courage for you. It's going to take courage for you to listen to the things, that the struggles that are going on in their lives. When somebody says, you know what, I'm addicted to pornography, that person is going to be able to hear that and have the courage to say, I've been there. Or I had a friend that was there. Let's talk about this. What does this look like in regards to accountability and praying for each other and actually being the church? The other thing I'll say about house churches is that it's not necessarily something that needs to look like the four particular house churches that New Hope Community Church has. I I think it should. I think that's a fantastic thing for New Hope to kind of um, have and kind of operate and oversee. Um, it's one of the most, uh, one of the most, I think the most exciting things about what New Hope is doing, and that's great. But I realize that there are times and there are seasons when house church just isn't going to fit into your particular life. Um, and so what I would challenge you with is to actually um, be able to point to the thing that you're doing instead. Maybe it is um, having coffee with a person, studying through a book or a piece of scripture. Maybe it is just having an accountability partner every Tuesday at 6 a.m. or something like that. Maybe it is uh, a work prayer group. Maybe it is... um, uh, I know uh, Rob Hobson's involved in a Christian businessmen association, and that's really great that, that he can gather with other Christian businessmen that are in the, in, 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 um, involved in, th- in groups like that. I, I don't know what it is, but I can say, w- can you point to it? Can you say, this is the group of people that not only am I investing in, but they are investing in me, and that my faith is fueled by my involvement in this group? Third, so first, corporate worship. Second, gathering for small groups. Third, we use our spirit-led gifts and personalities to the glory of God and the benefit of others. So, the parable, back to the parable about the mountain. Are you the leader? Are you the visionary? Are you the teacher, the shepherd, the admin, or the networker? The reason, actually, I, when I first heard this, um, I, heard, I, read, I learned it from uh, the first guy that I ever worked for in ministry, um, and the networker wasn't there. There wasn't a networker in there. Um, and actually, it was after working with Jason for so many years that I began to realize that his leadership style and his, like, spiritual gift was, like, hooking up people that needed to know each other. Like, oh, you, you got this problem? There's this guy I met five years ago that I went to Israel with, and you got to meet him, and he's, you know, you guys are good. Like, it's a spiritual gift. Um, so what is it for you? What is the thing that you've uniquely been uh, called towards to serve God's kingdom? How is it that you're helping the group get up to the top of the mountain? 
If you've never taken a, like a spiritual gift seminar or, or something like that, come to me. Let's talk about this. Let's meet together and think about what specific things, how are you uniquely called to serve God's kingdom? So we gather for worship. We gather for small groups. We use our gifting. And then last, not only um, what are we doing in community, but what are you doing for community? Uh, can you point to the people that you are pouring into? I think about the, the, um, uh, Tim Fales and Anna Henke who are pouring themselves into the edge. I think about our house church leaders. I, I think about um, even the student leaders that we have, uh, overseeing teams, overseeing um, uh, like Mary and, and Andrew, overseeing the worship team. Who is it that you are specifically investing in? Can you point to that person? Can you point to the person that you say, I'm going to give my time? Maybe it's not um, uh, specifically like a mentoring kind of organization, like a mentoring kind of situation. M- maybe it's just somebody that you're praying for. Maybe it's just somebody you ask a question or two, you're intentional about asking a question or two every now and then when you see them. But still, can you name that person that, that you're specific, kind of uniquely called by God to invest in? These are just a couple of things. There's probably pages of things um, that we could talk about, about how to anticipate the life of the kind of community that we are called in when we are called uh, as we are the church. But I just want us to be thinking about that. I want us to think about being intentional because the truth is we are not going to stumble into community any more than we're going to stumble into discipleship. We have to be intentional about it. We got to make those choices. We have to follow God. Of course, God is the, the, all about it. He, he's the center of it all. We're seeking first his kingdom. And if any of this is apart from the path that God has shown us, may we get off of it. But we got to be intentional about it. So with that humbling, let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to uh, be a part of this community called New Hope Community Church. Father, I thank you for um, the leadership role that I have in this community, and I pray that, um, (laughs) that you would call me out when I need to be called out, that you would remind me how to stay on the path, that you would keep me humble. But Father, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters in this room, young and old. I pray that um, all of them, every person in this room would know that they are valued by you. They are affirmed by you, that you love them, and that you want them, you desire them to be a part of the community that you have organized, that you're a part of this ecclesia, that you're a part, that they are a part of this gathering a mustering of God's forces to a broken world. Father, I just ask you to speak to every person here, whisper the things that they need to hear today so that they can start making those choices, so that they can do those those personal discipleships, those personal spiritual disciplines, but also do it with other human beings because we were never supposed to do this alone. Father, I pray all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.